This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Nick Berlanski, and we have a great show for you guys today. It was a fun weekend in the NHL over the weekend. We have a coast-to-coast segment to kick everything off, but after that, we are going to be joined by a special guest, State of Hoppy, from the Soda Pod, covering the Minnesota Wild. We'll be joining us in segment number two. And segment number three to talk a little bit about the Minnesota Wild and a little bit about his second favorite team, or I guess it is probably his favorite team, the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll talk about both of those two things with Hoppy in the second and third segments, but let's start it off with a coast-to-coast segment. It's been a while since I've done coast-to-coast, and boy, there were plenty of storylines over the weekend. Let's start with Marc-Andre Fleury. Big returns has been something that the NHL has started to kind of encapsulate. Like every time a player returns to their city, you know, there's the video montage, usually a standing ovation. It always happens in in the first commercial break, but there have been not many better than Marc-Andre Fleury's return to Pittsburgh in the 2017-18 season after he got taken by Las Vegas in the expansion draft. Well, he got to basically relive that once again. As on Saturday, he returned to Vegas for his first game as a member of the Chicago Blackhawks at the Vegas Golden Knights. You saw a great video tribute. Marc-Andre Fleury was tearing up. That is a town that, to him, meant almost as much as Pittsburgh did. I mean, he loved Vegas. He wanted to retire as a Vegas Golden Knight. But unfortunately, you know, contracts, the business of hockey, get into things, gets traded to Chicago. But here it is. The triumphant return for Flower. You saw a great moment with him and Robin Leonard pregame. He had the great standing ovation, the great video tribute. And then he goes out there and he gets the win. A 2-1 to win, nonetheless. A great performance from Marc-Andre Fleury, helping the Blackhawks get the victory over a really good Vegas Golden Knights team. And then, all of a sudden, after the game, if you didn't already know, Marc-Andre Fleury then... Goes into the record books. Marc-Andre Fleury is now the first NHL goaltender to defeat all 32 NHL teams. Obviously, he defeated a lot of them when he was a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He moved to Vegas. He beat the Penguins while he was in Vegas. And then, now that he's in Chicago, he gets that 32nd notch in his belt as they defeat the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, it's a weird career. For Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, he has a lot of these janky records. He's in the record books in a lot of weird ways. Obviously, he is now third in National Hockey League history in goaltender wins. He has a Vezina Trophy. He has three Stanley Cups. But it's really, it's a Hall of Fame career. But it's a lot of things that when you say that he's the best of or the first to do, it's a lot of janky records. It's not many huge overlapping like he's never gonna be the NHL 
wins leader among goaltenders. He's never going to catch Brodeur. He might catch Patrick Whopper second. But he has a lot of weird records where, you know, he he's the franchise leader in wins for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's currently the franchise leader in wins for the Vegas Golden Knights. He's one of the few goaltenders in NHL history to currently hold the franchise win record for multiple franchises. And he's had a weird career. He really has. He's clearly going to be a Hall of Fame guy, but it's just funny to think that a lot of his records, a lot of the things that he's in the record books for, it's a little bit janky. It's a little bit off, not just a clear cut. But uh, still, nonetheless, congratulations to Marc-Andre Fleury. It was a nice night for him and his family in Vegas. And obviously, storybook-wise, you got to love him getting the victory and being the first NHL goaltender to ever defeat all 32 teams. While we're on the subject of Marc-Andre Fleury, let's pivot over to the Pittsburgh Penguins because for over a month now, the Pittsburgh Penguins were impossible to defeat. They had a 10-game win streak. Then you have to add on the fact that they didn't play at all for 16 days, 13 days, whatever it was, because of COVID and the Christmas break. But either way, they had not lost before Saturday. That's the, you know, burying the lead here. They did lose on Saturday. That was their first loss since December 2nd when they lost to the Edmonton Oilers, 5-2. After that game, they won 4-1 to on December 4th against the Vancouver Canucks, and they hadn't lost until Saturday, January 8th. They do get that loss. Their 10-game win streak is snapped. They lose 3-2 to two to the Dallas Stars on Saturday in a matinee game. It was a tough, t- tough road for the Penguins because at that point, that was their third game in four days, not to mention the fact that that was a matinee game that they had to travel to, cross time zones, weird situation, but either way, They ran out of gas. They lost the game. The Dallas Stars were the better team for a longer portion of that game. And that's why the Stars came out with a 3-2 win on late goals by Joe Pavelski and Rupe Hintz. A good job from both of those guys. If you look at where they scored the goals, they're both within five feet of the goal line. So a great job by the Dallas Stars to uh, knock off the Pittsburgh Penguins and doing it in their fashion with a 3-2 victory. Uh, Now, after the Penguins lose... The longest active win streaks are uh, down at four games currently, and that is the Nashville Predators and the Colorado Avalanche. The Predators, I mean, when I talked about the win streaks before, I believe, the Christmas break was when that episode was, there were four win streaks of five games or more. The Predators were one of those teams. Now they're on another four-game win streak. We got to probably get the guys from Catfish on Ice on here to kind of talk about the Nashville Predators because they have been consistently pretty good over the past two months, and they're sitting in a pretty good spot in the Central Division. So the Predators have that four-game win streak. They are tied for the longest active win streak in the NHL with Colorado, who by the time this comes out, they will have played another game. So whether or not it is five in favor of Colorado or Nashville stands alone at four, as of right now, it'll at least be four games is the longest win streak. We talked about the stars there a little bit. I'm kind of going rapid fire here in the first segment because we have a great guest in State of Hoppy joining us from the Soda Pod here in the second segment where we're going to start with him. But the Dallas Stars, speaking of them, John Klingberg, their defenseman, was in the news over the weekend as it seems like he's starting to become a disgruntled defenseman for the Dallas Stars. And here's a quote from him over the weekend saying, quote, for me as a player, I don't feel appreciated. That's not a good look for the Dallas Stars. Now, John Klingberg is not their best defenseman anymore. He had been for several years, but now, of course, that, that mantle is taken up by Miro Haskinen. Now, this is all, of course, accentuated by the fact that John Klingberg is playing on the last year of a seven-year, $4.25 million average annual value year contract. And 
the contract talks have gone cold. That's why John Klingberg doesn't feel appreciated. It's, it's from the contract talks. What I would imagine is the fact that currently John Klingberg is the third highest paid defenseman on that team. We talked about Haskinen. He signed a massive extension in the offseason, eight years, $8.45 million. Klingberg also makes less than Essa Lindell. So as a guy that has backstopped the Dallas decor for a long time now, of course, you add in a guy like Ryan Suter, that helps him with a veteran presence. But John Klingberg has been there longer than everybody. I mean, he was a fifth-round pick of the Dallas Stars back in 2010. He's played his whole career in Big D, including, I mean, that's 505 games since the 2014-15 season. So it took him five years to get there, a little bit longer. But since he's gotten there, he has been one of, if not their best defenseman, the entire time that he's been playing. Like we mentioned, he signed that big seven-year deal. Now, who knows? I mean, he might get traded. That might be a big piece at the trade deadline. I mean, you look at where the Dallas Stars are in the standings right now. The Central Division is much tougher than expected. We already mentioned the Nashville Predators, the Colorado Avalanche. Those two teams are flying. We're going to talk about the Minnesota Wild here coming up with State of Hoppy. That is a tough division right now. And the Dallas Stars, while there have been times where they've been one of the best teams in all of hockey, it seems like every once in a while, they just fade back. They had a nice win on Saturday. But here with John Klingberg... Not feeling appreciated. The Stars possibly missing a playoffs. We could see him being a, a trade deadline acquisition. Kind of a rental situation. Now, I would imagine with the cap hit that he has and the talent that he has, that's a huge deal. I mean, I'm sure he could get a really good return. So if you're Dallas, you have to take that into consideration, especially looking at the fact that he is no longer your number one defenseman. It is Miro Haskinen, and you're pay- paying Haskinen as such. Now, you also have Lindell locked up. You have Ryan Suter on a really good contract. So maybe you think, especially if you're falling out of the playoff race, maybe John Klingberg is headed somewhere else. A lot of these contenders could use a guy like John Klingberg. We talked about the uh, Edmonton Oilers last week. The Edmonton Oilers could use a guy like John Klingberg on their blue line. So That's going to be a situation to keep an eye on. It's crazy because it feels like Klingberg has been there forever. I mean, and he has. He's played there since 2014. The guy has been the backstop of the Dallas Stars for a long, long time. So to the fact that he's not feeling appreciated, I would imagine it has to do with the number they're giving it to him. He probably understands that he's not going to make as much as Miro Haskinen. But he looks at that and he's probably like, hey, Where's my money? I've been underpaid for the past seven years. $4.25 million. That's a bargain for a guy like John Klingberg. So we'll see how that situation plays out. But shockingly, John Klingberg does not feel appreciated in Big D. I do want to talk about a couple other things that happened on Saturday. The NHL only had two games on Sunday. Not many storylines to go in those two games. But Saturday was chock full of them. One thing that did happen, and I won't talk about it for very long because it's kind of rough to talk about, Carl Hagelin scores an own goal on a delayed penalty. That is that is nightmare fuel, guys. Like th- If you didn't see that, definitely look it up because it is one of the biggest blunders that you can do in the NHL. Like I don't recall ever seeing this, but this has always been something that I'm always petrified of whenever I'm watching a game and my team has a delayed penalty especially in the age of everybody when they're doing a breakout, doing the drop pass. I've always been scared of, oh, well, what if they just misfire on the drop pass and they score on their own empty net because it's a delayed penalty and you're trying to get the six on five for as long as you can. Well, it happened. 
to Carl Hagelin and the Washington Capitals. What makes it even worse is the fact that they were up two to nothing at the time, obviously about to go onto the power play, and Hagelin tries to, in his own zone, or not his own zone, they were in the offensive zone. He takes it from basically the goal line, tries to get it up to the point, back to his own teammate, and it goes straight into the net. Marcus Foligno for the Minnesota Wild gets credit for the goal, and from there on, you know, the Caps end up losing 3-2 to two in a shootout. Wouldn't have happened if not for the Carl Hagelin blunder. I mean, the guy, it's nightmare fuel, but you can't really take it too too harshly on the guy. He's been a great, like, depth piece in the NHL for almost a decade at this point. You go back to the days of the New York, New York Rangers scoring OT winners in the playoffs. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion when he played with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And now he's a, he's a really good depth piece for the Washington Capitals. Not a guy that scores a lot of goals, but he's a penalty killer. He's speedy as hell, and he's really, really good for your third or fourth line. A guy that can set, step in, eat up minutes, and is pretty good in both sides of the puck. Like I said, doesn't score many goals, but still, nightmare fuel for the Washington Capitals. I don't know if I ever expected to actually see that at the NHL level, but it's always something that I've been wary of, and to actually see it happen to somebody who, listen, I got a Carl Hagelin jersey in my closet. Now, that is a Penguins Carl Hagelin jersey, but I'm a fan of the guy. But to see it happen to him, you just shake your head, and and you have to laugh it off. I mean, it's a blunder, it's a mistake, it's a funny moment, but realistically, it's just something that could be nightmare fuel for for a fan base, and it sucks for him and for the Capitals that it cost them a second point in that game. Last thing I want to talk about before we get to State of Hoppy, congratulations goes out to Jacob Voracek. Playing in his 1,000th game, it's a big moment for any NHL player that gets there. He gets there on Saturday in a game against the New Jersey Devils. Columbus ends up getting the OT win, so it's a nice night for Voracek. It comes to a nice end. It's a really good night for the Columbus Blue Jackets to celebrate a victory and to celebrate their former first-round pick. A lot of people don't really remember this. I forgot it until I looked into it. I forgot that Jacob Voracek was a draft pick of the Columbus Blue Jackets. I just think of Jacob Voracek as a Philadelphia Flyer. So remembering the fact that not only did he get drafted by Columbus in 2007 as a first-round pick, he played, what, two, two and a half years for them before heading over to the Philadelphia Flyers where he played the majority of his career. He's known as a Philadelphia Flyer. He played there for 10 years, 727 of his now 1,000 games. So the guy is basically a career Flyer. He was there... Second best player for a very long time, right behind Claude Giroux. There was times where he was even considered to be their best player. Whenever Giroux took a step back, Voracek was the guy there. And then he was kind of passed over to like a Sean Couturier a couple years ago. He was traded back to Columbus in the offseason. One of the big moves that Philadelphia was making to try to shake things up, to try to get one last run out of whatever was left of their core. Doesn't look like that's happening for Philly. Columbus has enjoyed a pretty decent season. They're balancing around 500, which is better than a lot of people gave them credit for. And Jacob Voracek is having a pretty good season as well for them. So congratulations to him. 1,000 career games in those games, of course, 217 goals, 765 career points. He's not a guy that I would consider even a bubble Hall of Famer, but he's had a great career in the National Hockey League. And 1,000 games is nothing to scoff at in any way, shape, or form. So congratulations to Jacob Voracek on game number 1000. I'm going to take a quick break to pay the bills here, but when I return, I will be joined by my good buddy from the Soda Pod. We'll have State of Hoppy on the show to talk all things Minnesota Wild and then maybe a little bit of Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll be right back after the break. 
The NFL playoffs are here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is kicking things off with a huge offer. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any wildcard team to win their game. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team is victorious. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have something to play for this wildcard weekend. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN this Super Wild Card Weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. Joining me now is a good friend from the Hockey Podcast Network, State of Hoppy, is joining the show. He covers the Minnesota Wild for the Soda Pod here on the Hockey Podcast Network. So we have a little bit of Minnesota Wild questions, and then we're going to get into a little bit of Pittsburgh Penguins, because why not when the us two are on the uh, same microphones here. So Hoppy, how you doing? We're doing good, man. We're doing good. I, I got to say, it, it, it's not often that I step away from The Bachelor for anybody, so you're, you're in special company. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving me your time today and stepping away from The Bachelor. I didn't know that I was uh, interfering with that. Oh, no, you're saving me. <laughs> well, let's just jump right into it, because if it's not The Bachelor, the biggest issue right now with America is COVID. And uh, obviously... The Minnesota Wild ran into a bunch of COVID issues, whether it be on their team or teams they were going against. I mean, they were one of the hottest teams in hockey in December. And then all of a sudden, seven of their last 12 games have been postponed due to COVID. They're in, they're out. They went four calendar weeks in that span without a win. They were only played in five games, though. What has this stretch been like for Minnesota? Yeah, and you got to consider, too, the Wild are in a unique spot, being that they were part of, well, Kerry Bettman's second favorite thing in the world behind keeping the Coyotes in Arizona, that being the Winter Classic. I think a lot of those games probably happen, if not for trying to preserve the Winter Classic. Uh, but yeah, man, it's it's been tough. And a lot of people look across and see that there's a lot of COVID cancellations. And there's been a couple of like COVID like spurts here on the team. But dude, the Wild have been ravaged by injuries. It's like, I think they might be the most screwed by injuries since anyone like Pittsburgh at the start of the season. Yeah, it's been a weird stretch for Minnesota, but nonetheless, they've kind of came out on the other side of it here at the start of 2022. And a nice storyline as well at the start of 2022 with Marco Rossi and Matt Boldy both making their NHL debuts on last Thursday's game at Boston. What did you think of their first couple of games? Yeah, I think uh, we saw for sure that Matt Boldy should not be back in the AHL. I think that he's a guy that can absolutely play in this league already. 
Now, does that mean that he's playing on the first line? No, but the way the guy can play both on the boards and down low, like he's got the pedigree. He's got the vision. He, I think he could be a good compliment to Kevin Fiala if he sticks around. But uh, if, if that guy puts a couple more pounds on as he grows into himself a bit, he's going to be a menace moving forward for sure. Um, Marco Rossi. What I like about him is that I didn't notice him positively <laughs> or negatively. He came in and he just kind of blended in and you kind of expected him to kind of pop one way or the other, right? You thought he was either going to do something crazy to get on the score sheet, or he was going to be the guy that gets absolutely toasted for a goal. No, he, he just kind of fit in, did his thing. I'm not worried about him long-term, but I think everyone knew right now, Matt Boldy's way more NHL ready. And I think long-term Rossi's got a lot more upside. So with Rossi sent back to the AHL, do you think he gets another call up this season? Depends on injuries and COVID man. And at this point too, like he might even be up by next game because the wild don't play until Friday because of COVID cancellations. This isn't even COVID cancellations. This is Canada wanting to get dollars for selling tickets cancellations. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, He's in a weird spot where, yeah, he's crushing it in the AHL, but by no means do I think that he's like a fully developed and polished NHL-ready guy. You need him to come up. He's going to be able to do what he needs to. I got no problem with him staying down there, especially with the contract slide in effect. But if I have it my way, Matt Boldy is not playing another AHL game. I like that. Now you talk about, for sure, NHL guys and Kirill Kaprizov. I mean, he's an NHL guy for sure. I mean, he stepped up his game in a massive way after a slow start to the season. So, true or false, Hoppy, is Kirill Kaprizov a top five player in the National Hockey League? Nobody's got that potential. He's the kind of guy that could be there in a couple of years if he keeps on building the way he has. Like, you got to remember, the guy, I think, just hit the game mark to having played one full NHL season. <laughs> um, and look at Panarin, man. Like, sure, he came out of the gate hot and he was filthy playing next to Patty Kane. But it, it took him a while to come out and really hit the scene as that perennial top five, top ten type player. Um, again, Kaprizov's got all of that skill, and I have no doubt that he's going to be able to continue what he's done. I'm just not at all ready to say he's a top five player in the NHL. No. Would you say top ten? Fringe. Okay. It's hard for me. It's really hard for me to put a winger in the top ten, personally. And I don't think he's like one of the top two or three wingers when we like really take it all in again. I think he could be top one or two in a couple of years time for sure. But yeah, man, there's, there's just a lot of talent out there. It's hard for me to supplant him and put him up there this quick, but I also wouldn't like gasp at anyone that says that he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you take away his slow start, he's now eighth in the NHL in scoring with 40 points. So we'll see how he finishes off the season. That's going to be a big indicator of whether or not he can take that next step. To me, just like you said, he's banging on that door. Yeah, man. And uh, I mean, hopefully the injury isn't anything too crazy here after that Trent Frederick hit. Um, But yeah, if he can come back in and do what he's been doing, I mean, he's going to finish top 10 in scoring more than likely. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be fun to see. And I mean, especially... Guy has never had a true number one center. It's insane what he's been able to do. And granted, Matt Zuccarello is no slouch, right? But 
you usually see these star wingers putting up big points because they got someone big playing there with them. And it's usually down the middle. So looking at the wild right now, I mean, they had a fantastic start to the season. They were one of three teams that were the first to 19 victories. And then of course they had their slump a little bit, but looking at them now, what does this team need going forward? I mean, the trade deadline starting to come up. What do you think Bill Guerin does at the deadline or even before the deadline to help this team get a little bit better before the postseason? Oh, those are different questions. What What's going to happen or what do we need? Well, let's start with what you need. Center. That That's the beginning and end of the question. It's actually really funny. We went out. Uh, I didn't go to the Winter Classic game, but went out and took in some of the festivities like on that day. And we went to a brewery where Michael Russo was doing a live show with Jeremy Rutherford. Um, and someone went up and asked the question because they had an open mic, and they're like, what does both teams need at the trade deadline? And immediately Russo's just like, a center. Just like leaned in, and that's all he had to say. Um, everyone knows it's always been the curse of the wild. Right now they're in a spot where, like, it's not awful, right? You got Rossi coming in hopefully sometime this year or next year to fill one of those, you know, probably second-line center at this point in his career. You've got incredible fortune having that Ryan Hartman deal pan out the way it has 1.7 for this guy. He has looked incredible. And guess what? If he doesn't score another goal all year, we've still gotten more than our money's worth. And dude, we just need Jewel Eric's neck to come back in. Supposedly he could be back in for this next game would be great. But I, I just see a team that doesn't really have strength down the middle. And for me, like, Anytime I've looked at a contender with a few minor exceptions, if you don't have at least three deep at center, you're not going anywhere in the playoffs. The big thing too is where are you going to find that center? I mean, you can always say that after the uh, Olympics, Eric Stahl is going to be available, but you know, how long can you bang on that door? I don't think that's a door that Bill Guerin's going to bang on again. He's the one that sent him to Buffalo. I don't, I don't know if there's really a relationship there anymore. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a that's a very fair, fair point. But the second half of that question was, what do you think that he actually does? Do you think they get a center, or do you think he has to do some other maneuvering to try to bolster up other areas? Man, it's going to come down to who's willing to deal, right? Because he's got two guys on the roster right now that you're either going to use as, like, own rentals in-house, that being Jordan Greenway and Kevin Fiala. I just don't see either of them being with the team after this year super unlikely because of the money that they're both going to be looking for. And to be completely honest, neither has really earned that money thus far. And I, dude, I love Kevin Fiala. I think he's actually the most like physically talented player on the team. And he's actually been good this year. Like all things considered, they, they don't have the money. Like there's no cap space with the buyouts. It's just not realistic that you're going to bring him back. So do you reach a point where you're like, Hey, let's just keep him here. He's better off being our rental player, or do you send him maybe Greenway, maybe both, maybe you throw something in with him. Maybe you can get a real center return. And if you can do that, I'm all ears. As long as it's not a rental, right? Like I love, love, love Tomas Hurdle makes zero sense for the wild because it would be a pure rental. There's no way that they can afford whatever his next contract's going to be. Now, if you really want to push the chips in and say, this is your year. Sure. Go and get Tomas Hurdle. But uh, for me, it's, it's gotta be someone that's at least got another year or two on their deal. Otherwise it's, you're not sending things of that caliber. 
Yeah, the Wilds strike me as a team that's at the beginning of their window and not nearly at the point where they need to push all the chips in at this point. It feels like a team that we need to see what we can do in the postseason before we do something like that. Yeah, it's tough, though, man. Like, you're in a weird spot where you've got this team that could realistically be the best in their division. Do I think they're there? No. Again, I think they're a center short, but all health, like, aside, if you've got your full roster, you are that center short of making a real push. And you're staring down three more years of brutal, brutal buyout penalties. Sure. Can you do stuff next year? Yeah. But like I said before, you're losing a Fiala, you're losing a Greenway, and you're losing cap space without adding any value. It's it's one of those things where Bill Guerin sees this team and says, hey, this is not only good for like the development of the squad to try and go on a deep run. Like maybe it is something where you push the chips in and you at least try even if you don't win the cup, like if this team could make it to the West finals, that's a big, big step. That's a lot of experience gained for a good, like middle-aged slash young squad. There's value there. It's just, what does Garen value that at? And mm -hmm. I've, no one knows what that man thinks. <laughs> so you mentioned the division right now, where do you see the wild finishing in the central? If you had to say it right now, I mean, they're currently in fourth, Nashville has been surprisingly good. St. Louis has been solid. And Colorado, we've seen, is now surging. So where would you put the Wild as of right now to finish in the Central? Uh, realistically, the way things are looking right now, and I mean, this is, again, discounting any health issues that might continue to emerge. They're probably looking at that middle matchup. Like, it's probably them against St. Louis when it comes down to it, which is unfortunate because that's a not fun matchup for both teams. I don't think either of them want to play each other in that matchup. Um, but I, I, until seen otherwise, it's Colorado's division. Like it just mm -hmm. is. And I'm, I, as good as they've been, I don't believe in Nashville at all. Yeah. I, it's, it's very tough for me to do that as well. I mean, I, I don't really, I didn't believe in St. Louis either, but both of them were shoving it up my hoop as of right now. So I can't say much. Uh, I, I think I had St. Louis six coming into the season. I'm eating that one. <laughs> in fairness, I thought Bennington was going to suck. And he's actually been pretty okay. I think I just underestimated UC Soros. Hey, man, I, I'm the wrong person to ask when it's coming down to where things are going to stack up in the Central because I was heavily riding the Winnipeg and Dallas trains. I, dude, I still look at their rosters, and I'm like, how does this not work? I don't get mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I still bang on the drum of Winnipeg being my dark horse Stanley Cup Finals pick, but uh, it's not looking good. <laughs> I still have hope. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to get into some Penguins talk because uh, not so ke dark kept secret for State of Hoppy. He's also a Penguins fan. So we'll discuss the Pittsburgh Penguins right after the break. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first round draft bust. We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN at the DraftKings Sportsbook app for great odds and even better opportunities. We're here with the state of hockey, 
from the Soda Pod, one of the oldest friends that I have here on the Hockey Podcast Network, not by age, but just by uh, length both. of knowing both. each other. Okay, but both. I guess it is both. I just didn't want to make it seem that way. But uh, either way, oldest and wisest, we'll say. <laughs> now we're stretching things, but... <laughs> So, obviously, Hoppy, it's been a crazy season for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, never healthy. Never healthy. But, of course, one of the nice things that has come out of it is Evan Rodriguez. So, what a lot of people have said stuff. What have you made of Evan Rodriguez's season this far? Uh, yeah, everyone can thank me because last year I absolutely came out and said that this is an anti-Evan Rodriguez account. Uh, story behind that is uh, it's got nothing to do with the player. I had a decent amount of money on a game where it was puck line. So Pittsburgh needed to win by one and a half and he missed an empty netter for me. That was like a very easy empty netter that would have sealed it for a couple hundred bucks. And I'm like, all right, you're dead to me. Lo and behold, he is the chosen one. (laughs) He's a man. I don't know what to make of him. I don't know if this is like a one year thing and you sell him to the first bidder but dude has been on another level. I'm more curious at this point, to be honest, because he's here to stay, at least for this season. I don't know if it's long-term, but I'm curious where he plays once everyone's healthy. Like, do you keep him with Gensel and Crosby and move Rust with Malkin, or do you try and spark more with Malkin by moving Rodriguez there and doing the the standard Rust-Gensel-Crosby line? I I don't know. What what are your thoughts? When I look at the Penguins roster at full health. First of all, I get very excited because it's going to be a really good lineup. Second of all, I look at Evan Rodriguez and I'm like, listen, that first line of Gensel, Crosby, and Ross, there's just a there's a, a different type of chemistry there than I think I've seen in years past. Like we saw it last year a little bit, but the short period of time that we've seen it this year, it's been electric. So I have Rodriguez on my roster slotted with Malkin and with Kapanen. I think Kapanen needs Malkin. I think we've seen that already. I think Malkin's ready for a great run when he returns. And I think Evan Rodriguez has proven that he's been good anywhere. I mean, he's been a first-line center, second-line center. He's been wing. He's been the whole way down to the fourth line this season. He's been able to play anywhere, and he's played pretty much the same everywhere he's been. So I would say put him on the second line with Malkin and Kapanen and and hope that pans out. I think it would. I'm I'm okay with that. So then what's... Because... There's been talk about having Carter be on that second line, too, as a winger. Like, what happens here? Do you think that Teddy Bluger's done enough to make himself a third-line center moving forward? Or does he get bumped down to the fourth-line center by default? I don't think... uh, Listen, Mike Sullivan says he doesn't number lines. We all know you number lines. Like, either whether you deploy them that way or not, you number the lines. But I don't think there's going to be ever a time that Mike Sullivan, when all healthy, is going to separate Teddy Bluger from Zach Aston, Reese, and Brock McGinn. Because I think he loves that line too much. I mean, it's it's the Tanev line from last year that they basically inserted Brock McGinn, and it's still Mike Sullivan's love child. So I think he's going to keep Bluger there no matter what he does. Interesting. So with everything I'm hearing there, because, I mean, that sounds to me like a sturdy, reliable third line, right? Mm-hmm. So what's what's the move here at the deadline? Like, what are we doing to shake up the roster? Like, at the names that I haven't heard you say, we've got Jeff Carter, who, whether he stays or goes, like, that's an impactful guy. And he's mm-hmm. not playing on the fourth line, that's for fucking sure. But then we've got the polarizing man who 
I still love to death, but he also brought uh, the love of my life, Kalen Addison, over to the Minnesota Wild. Dude, what's what's the future here for Jason Zucker? Like, is he is he just done over there or what? It's hard to tell, especially because he's on injury right now. But I think what you what we at least what I saw, whenever he was healthy, him and Jeff Carter actually had something going. Now Zucker was not scoring goals. But he was getting better chances. He was playing better. His Corsi was better. All of his underlying stats were better. So I think you're getting a little bit more out of Zucker when he's playing with Jeff Carter. So maybe try to see that. But again, his cap hit is still not great. I mean, if you want to make a move at the deadline and there's a salary cap that you want to move, it's probably Jason Zucker, especially now that Marcus Pedersen has played the way that he has. He's kind of played his way out of trade talks. I don't want to see Jason Zucker moved. I think as a third-line guy with Carter and Heinen, I think that is money for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But if they need to make a move, Zucker's probably the odd man out. Yeah, I mean, obviously you'd like to have Matheson be in that bucket, but that's even less realistic. So, yeah, I mean, so what? what is the move then for Pittsburgh at this point? Because there's nothing you need to add offensively. So do we need to add either a – like? more capable veteran goalie or do you think there needs to be defensive depth like what what's the move I think they could use another goalie mainly because I don't know what the coaching staff thinks of Louis Domingue because we saw Casey DeSmith a couple days ago last week against San Jose turn a six to one game into a six to five game and not get pulled because Louis Domingue was behind him. So what that tells me is they don't have much trust in Louis Domingue at the NHL level. So do they need somebody behind DeSmith? Maybe. Do they need somebody to push DeSmith? Maybe. But also, I look at this team, their success is not based on their forwards right now. Their success is primarily based on the way that they play defensively. So I don't think there's anything wrong with their defense. I've loved everything Chad Ruedel has done all season long. And I just think that when I look at what this team needs to do, I am clueless, and it's not like Ron Hextall's given us any hints either. He's Fort Knox over there, so usually Penguins fans are used to GM Jim Rutherford basically laying out what's going to happen eight months in advance. With Ron Hextall, it's the opposite. You have to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks because he keeps everything close to the best. Yeah, and the one thing I got to throw out here because, like, I don't care. People come and say, like, oh, McDavid's overtaking Crosby. Sure, whatever. I won't fight you. I don't care. Um, Dude. Is there a better coach in this league than Mike Sullivan? I would say no. I like honestly I, would say no. Dude, I I try my best with like Wild and Penguins. Like I try and remove all bias and I'm I feel like I'm a realist and some Wild fans take that as being a negative Nancy, but I dude, I genuinely for my money, I would not take any coach over Mike Sullivan in this league. Mm-mm. Not even close. Yeah, no, the, the what he has done this season and, you know, we always say on the tip of the iceberg, yeah, maybe this year he'll get a nod for Jack Adams. He won't. He won't because. <laughs> no, he won't. Know, that, that, that's past. Yeah, no, that, that's just not going to happen. But, I mean, you still, year after year, and it's not like he does it once. Year after year, the Penguins face the same injuries, and it's still kind of ridiculous how they always end up, you know, doubted and then end up at the top. And it's weird. And the top might not be a Stanley Cup, but the top last year was a division championship. The top this year is the fact that they're competing with three of the best teams in the league right now in the Metro Division. So, And Evgeny Malkin has yet to play a game. So it, it's really a testament to what he does and how he gets the buy-in 
from his players because there's not many coaches, maybe a John Cooper, maybe you see Gerard Gallant starting to get that in New York, but not many coaches get the buy-in from everybody, including the stars, like Mike Sullivan has been able to do for as long as he's been able to do it because tenure is also a very impressive thing when you're a head coach in this league and he's got it. Yeah, man. And I mean, let's spade a spade, right? Like if you get league average, even slightly below league average goaltending last year, you're in the conference finals and it's between you and Tampa to go to the championship. Like Mm -hmm. that he's looked great this year. I won't trust him until he proves it in the playoffs, but like Jerry was the reason that we lost to the Islanders. He was awful. And on the other side, holy shit was that incredible goaltending. Like, you remove goaltending from the equation, Pittsburgh absolutely floors the Islanders. Yeah, there was times that they were skating circles around them. And I'm glad you actually bring up Tristan Jari, and even specifically in the playoffs. I wanted to ask you, because, you know, you're always 50-50 on Tristan. Do you trust him right now as the team's starting goaltender as a playoff guy? Playoffs? No, I don't. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not okay with him going in, but I don't trust him. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the questions have been, what does he need to do to gain your trust? And I know Horwat, who's my co-host on Tip of the Iceberg, always says, I need to see him win a playoff, playoff series. series for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I'm I'm totally with Horwat on that, man. Like, I need to see it in the playoffs. And you know what? Saying win a playoff series, like, I won't put that on him. I need to see him play legit. Like, I need to see what I'm seeing in the regular season in the playoffs. And if the team doesn't do what they need to to get him to a win, like, I can see all of it in a vacuum, right? But he needs to put up regular season numbers in the playoffs, and that's the only way that he's going to win me over. And, again, he hasn't ever shown it so far. He's a young guy. He's got time to prove it. But, yeah, until I see it, I'm going to be pretty nervous going into whoever we play in the first round. It's scary. So with that being said, I mean, the Penguins are in the same position as the Minnesota Wild. They sit in fourth place right now. Where do you think they finish in this division? Uh, I had them earmarked for two or three. Um, you know, I'm I'm with you, and I'm slowly kind of giving a benefit, but I, I still don't trust the Rangers. I just know that they're going to be the, the carriage that turns back to a pumpkin. I, man, if they didn't have Shesterkin, there's no way. There's no way. Yeah. But... Uh, the only team that I really see being in a different tier, like standing alone, is Carolina. And I think everyone saw that coming into the season. But they're they're right there with the Capitals. I think those two are going to kind of joust it out for those two, three spots. Hopefully we get a first-round matchup between Washington and Pittsburgh. That'd be great. Um, but yeah, I, I don't trust the Rangers. Still don't. I just, over the course of the rest of the year... We'll see. Maybe they'll show me what's what, but I think Pittsburgh ends up somewhere in that 2-3 playing the other 2-3. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Hockey Hotbed. Thank you, State of Hoppy, for joining me. I'm going to give you a couple seconds here. What's coming up for you on the Soda Pod and what is going on just in your personal life? Like anything else coming up? Any any good breweries that you need to try here soon? so many breweries i need to try here soon we're actually in we got a lot of stuff going on with partner breweries anyone that hasn't listened like if you're at all into craft craft brewery scene 
Minnesota's got a surprisingly like underrated brewery scene. Like we're not, dude, we're not SoCal, we're not Boston, right? But it it's crazy how many great breweries there are out here and how many of them we trick into collaborating with us and working on the podcast. But uh, no, on the podcast, we kind of take a unique approach where every day we have a different approach. So every Monday, Wednesday, you get me and Isha covering the Minnesota wild. Every Tuesday, we have the one and only spoke Z covering all prospects for the Minnesota wild. And, this dude we can't get him to stop talking like his episodes end up going two hours and he still wants to talk more because he literally covers every single prospect <laughs> it's nuts <laughs> and then every friday we have the mncaa that's covering all six division one programs here in the great state of minnesota and thursdays we actually have a guy that's completely dedicated to traveling the country and going to different hot spots for breweries so if one of those doesn't tickle your fancy, then yeah, don't don't waste your time following me. But if any of that is of interest, you can follow me at State of Hoppy. You can follow the podcast at The Soda Pod. And from there, you can pretty much find everyone tagged under that umbrella. Um, but I don't know. Nothing, nothing out. Nothing crazy, because right now the Wild are playing a game a week. So there's not anything too crazy to get into. Well, one last time, thank you so much for joining, Hoppy. Appreciate it. Always, buddy.